Welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Mission Cigar and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Deb, and I'm joined, as I am every week, by Mr. Shane Reeves. You know, I only smoked half a cigar on that last show. I noticed that. Well, that's since we moved to this model, that's been more common than not, that usually you get about to the break in the second show before you strike up the next one. Yeah, I just, I've, I've taken my time. I'm still smoking the knuckle sandwich. You know, I hate to rush a cigar. I think one of the worst things you can do is rush a cigar. I've, I would rather not smoke as feel like I had to be on a timetable. Well, without getting too uh, esoteric with it, I feel like you do a disservice to all of the hands that went into crafting that blend by putting a rush on it. You know, they... They took the time to grow it, to blend it, to ferment it, to roll it, to package it, to ship it. And then if you just power through it, it it's kind of, you're, you're not giving it what it deserves. Well, and in the big picture of life, that's not what cigars are about. Exactly. Cigars are not about the quick hit of a drug or chemical. They're about the relaxation and the conversation and enjoying time with your fellow man and an artisanal product. That, right. That's crafted in years of tradition. I sound like a commercial for the cigar industry. A little bit. When you when you have good friends, you should have good cigars. I like it. <laughs> he is the most interesting smoker in the world. <laughs> Someone is. I don't think either of us fall into that category. I'm, I'm a fairly interesting smoker. I, uh, I like fa- to think. Fairly. I don't think you're the most interesting cigar smoker in the world. Who do you think is the most interesting cigar smoker? Who, who more so than I? <laughs> I mean... I feel like Schwarzenegger's up there. I feel like he's more interesting than you are. Yeah, well, he's done more. Yeah. I'll say that. And he does have the whole Austrian thing and the movies. And Okay, I'll, I'll give you Schwarzenegger. And I'll probably even give you Jack Nicholson. Yeah. That'd... I think I'd much rather smoke a cigar with, with um, Nicholson than I would Schwarzenegger. Really? And I'll, one, one night, what I'll need to do is I need to compile a list, because I've done it before in here in the cigar shop with people, of who would you rather smoke with? Yeah, this or that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've talked about it before. Would you rather have a cigar with Terry Crews or Steve Harvey? Yeah. And, I'll, and I, I feel like Terry Crews, by not being a regular cigar smoker... So you got to lay... Okay, are you saying that if they were regular cigar smokers or... But I think Terry Crews would be just too much energy. I don't know. See, I think I remember it was a couple of years ago when we talked about that on the show, and I've, I seem to remember we both disagreed because I picked Terry Crews and you picked Harvey. Although that, it's kind of a Sophie's choice, really, because both would be great. Yeah, I think both would be interesting, you know, and that's always one of the cigar shop topics. I, I really like to get into modern people more than, oh, if you could go back in time, who right. would you smoke? I'm not because you really you know these people through the lens of history well exactly you know i wouldn't want to go smoke a cigar with mark twain you know because too much of yeah it, it's informed by knowing this life knowing the, all the questions would be like wait you mean i'm gonna die when yeah well and he may not have been a spontaneous guy that's one of the things you got to understand about authors authors have time to revise their product and reevaluate and they may they may not be good on the fly yeah you never uh, true but I think, yeah, I totally lost it. Let okay. me talk about my cigar. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, have, have I delayed you getting to light the cigar that you've been waiting to light for an hour and a half long <laughs> enough? You have. Uh, so as I mentioned last week, I'm very excited about this. This is 
the Camacho Broadleaf that just came out a couple weeks ago, and <clears throat> I'm smoking the Toro. Something really cool uh, from the Davidoff website is, now I pulled up the Robusto because that's just what happened to come up, but it's, uh, they include smoking time, which I think is a great kind of, uh, I, I don't know. How long do they think a Robusto should take you? 45 minutes. Okay, that's, that's about right. That's about right. So when I smoke a Toro without being on the podcast, I'm usually about 45 minutes on a Toro, which I'm a, I know I'm a fast smoker. So that sounds about right. But it's a Honduran wrapper and binder filler from the Dominican and Honduras. They rate this with a strength of four out of five, which I, I could see that. Uh, that's, that's where more, I would that's expect more strength than I would expect that to have. But for a broadleaf, I tend to expect broadleaf cigars to have a bit more on the strength scale. So, what makes a cigar a broadleaf? What I mean, you know, we, we had this argument about sun grown because Monty said, "Well, everything is sun grown. They all have to have sun to be grown." So, how how do you say sun grown? What makes a leaf broad? What what is the actual definition of a broad leaf? Um, to come into that because usually broadleaf's characterized by a little more flavor, a little more, um, just a little more kick and a little more punch. So I often wonder when they do some of these descriptions, do they just make something up or is there an actual reason the broadleaf is a broadleaf? So it's a particular variety. So most commonly we think of it, uh, Connecticut broadleaf is what we think of. And that particular variety is shorter and squattier than the big, you know, the six, seven foot tall tobacco plants. And so the, it's sun grown, which is evident usually by the toothiness of the wrapper. You know, it's, it's out in the elements. It gets a lot more direct sunlight. And by virtue of those short squatty, it has broader leaves so that the lower leaves on the plant get more sunlight. Okay. Well, that makes sense that it's a... A type of tobacco is a broad leaf, hence a description, the broad leaf. Right. It's like the, the blue-footed booby. It's obviously a bird with blue feet. Mm-hmm. If the blue-footed booby had yellow feet, it would not. It would just be a duck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't argue with that. <laughs> that's, a, that's on my list of animals I'd like to eat. I'd like to eat a blue-footed booby. See, puffin is up there for me. Oh, I definitely eat puffin. I I'd really be, want to eat puffin. I'd, I'd, I'd love to try puffin, and I've actually seen where they, ca- you know how they don't shoot them; they catch them with, with giant nets. With giant nets. Uh, Gordon Ramsay uh, did an episode of one of his shows where he went to Iceland and did the whole where you stand on a cliff and raise this t- giant net on a twelve foot pole to try and catch them as they come around the, the mountain. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I always see puffins when I'm in Alaska, and I think, man, I bet I bet he would taste good. <laughs> You know, you know, penguin. You never want to eat a penguin. I don't think penguin would taste good. No, I don't imagine it being, being typical, t- t- terribly good. Seal, walrus, no otter, no interest. Yeah. But something about puffin and blue-footed boobies makes right. them. Make, do, do people eat boobies? Well, um, Les I mean, Stroud. I know you motorboat them, but do you eat them? <laughs> if you hit them with a motorboat, <laughs> Les Stroud ate one on Survivor Man one time. Okay. Hey, it was funny because that was the night that I'm sitting there watching Les Stroud stranded on a desert island, 
And here he has these immature coconuts that have this really soft inner texture that he's roasted slowly and a nice blue-footed booby cooked over an open fire and all of these, you know, all of these delicacies that he's prepared trapped on a desert island. And I'm looking at my Hungry Man TV dinner thinking... I've gone wrong somewhere in life. <laughs> the but, Survivor Man dinner was much better yeah, than the Hungry Man. Yeah. Survivor Man has actually outdined me tonight, <laughs> <laughs> which isn't usually the case. But anyway, let's talk about a cigar. From Half Wheel, J.C. Newman's Brickhouse Bricktoberfest 2023 heading to stores. So the, the Oktoberfest thing. So I didn't realize that... They launched this in 2017. I have never heard of this before. I've heard of the Steins. I've seen the Steins at different places. But generally, when I see Brickhouse, I just keep on moving. Not because they're bad cigars, but just because they're not, they're not good enough to make the rotation. Right. That's kind of how I feel about it. I think they're phenomenal for the price. Uh, but there's just it's usually not what I'm in the mood for, if that makes sense. So this is going to be... An Ecuadorian Habano Rosado wrapper over binder and fillers from Nicaragua. Um, they're designed to be paired with Marzen-style beer that is dark during Oktoberfest, a dark beer, which is Germany's famous for a dark beer. Right. And here's the thing. This is not just a marketing scheme. Um, J.C. Newman's grandfather, his quote from... Um, See, they did this again. Eric, Eric Newman. Newman. Yeah, why didn't they say Eric Newman yeah. says... No, they say, My grandfather, J.C. Newman, was born in a only house made out of brick in a small village in Austria-Hungary, said Eric Newman. Could, it, could they not put Eric Newman up first for those of us that are reporting this? He <laughs> it lived it in made his, perfect sense to me. I think that's a you problem. He lived with his family on the second floor while the first floor was a local tavern and general store. The Brick House Cigar label depicts his home. So, okay, I like this. We got a little Providence. Yeah, it, it tells a story. The, but now, do you think a Newman is being a German name? That seems, I didn't think that would be a German name. I would expect. So, yeah, um, Newman, I actually uh, know someone who is like de facto from Germany, German. Now it's spelled N E U M A N N. But, I, yeah, Newman is a, is a Germanic surname. You know, we have a fellow in here who's a very big, big fan of Germany. He's been there like seven times. And to hear him talk about it, I, I really think I need to... I'm not big on wanting to visit anywhere in Europe, but I think I'd like to visit Germany. Germany's on my list for sure. I think I'd like to see the Dark Forest. Yeah. And all, not the, the Germans call it the Dark Forest, not the Black Forest, but the Dark Forest... Um, the German cuckoo clocks and all of that stuff. I, I mean, there's well, that's so, mostly Austrian, the cuckoo clocks. Well, there's so much of German culture that is a precision and a hospitality that I like. And I'll to hear him describe it. Now, granted, he's he's describing it through the lens of right. somebody that loves Germany. Right. To hear him describe it, though, it sounds like the the southern hospitality would fit right at home with the way Germany works. Well, and it's also one of the things, it's one of the few places you can go in Europe where you get portion sizes similar to what you expect to see in America. You know, and it, that comes down to that hospitality of feeding everyone at the table, making sure. So it's, you know, that's why a lot of the food is, is family style and it's just, it's meant to feed an army just... And it, it, it comes from that same kind of, that hospitality nature. 
Yeah, I just i i like the i like the culture. I like the people, you know. And one of my friends, he just went. Um, he actually went to his boss's place in Spain, and his boss, while he was in Spain, handed him the company credit card and said, "Here, I want you to go somewhere else in Europe. You're a young man. You've not been here. You may not be here again for a long time." He said, "Here's company credit card. Please own us." Go, and it was actually a cigar company. He said, yeah. "Please own us." go see something he chose germany and he said it was outstanding said it was unbelievable that's really cool and uh, all the places he went but anyway back to the cigar um this does have a nicaraguan wrapper like the rest of the brick house brand and the msrp is only 10 bucks a stick i mean that's right in the wheelhouse of a brick house and they're coming in 10 packs so 100 bucks will buy you a 10 pack of them and i would i would give this a try i would give this a shot i think this is something that i would be i'd be up for giving a shot. You know, Casada used to make the Oktoberfest cigar every year. And I have bought probably, I think there was a span of about three or four years where I bought a box every year. And I always really enjoyed them. There's something about just that, I don't know if it's, you know, we, we talk a lot about how this time of year we turns to cigar weather. You know, that perfect cigar weather. And there's something about a, a cigar blended for this exact time of year, I think, that just always hits the mark for me. Yeah, I mean, autumn is the most beautiful time of the year. I mean, there really is no better time of the year than autumn. Spring's great. It's a time of rebirth, but there's a lot of rain. Mm-hmm. A lot of rain associated with being reborn. Um, <laughs> but fall is just, you know, we've got our annual trip to Gatlinburg coming up where we're going to go back to Gatlinburg and go to Dollywood where they got all the pumpkins out. Yep. And all of that, the corny, the, the reason the corny tourist stuff works is because it's great. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> you know, I had, the, I had the opportunity to go to Maine in the fall a couple of years ago. And it's just, it's everything you see in the pictures. Don't do it justice. But it's just everything you think about. Yeah, there's something about this time of year that's just absolutely magical. And I love it. Well, you know, I joined a Facebook group called I Grew Up in Alaska. I didn't grow up in Alaska, but the, that's the name of the Facebook group. And I said then, okay, I've got to go spend a September in Alaska. I've spent Julys and Junes and August in Alaska, but I've never spent a September. And that's their fall. And, man, some of the pictures coming off of that just just stop your heart. They're so beautiful. That's awesome. Of the moose and all that. But anyway, so coming soon to a cigar shop near you, the Brickhouse Bricktoberfest. And I need to look. If Newman's going to sponsor a poker poker thing, I need to get them to bring some of these in to put oh, that'd in there. be great hold one, it, hold one back for me uh, at 10 bucks a stick they work really well in the poker pack i'm mm-hmm. gonna have to get i'll have to get with mark and get that worked out for a special poker game coming up all right so from the sublime to the irrational half wheel new bill would more than triple federal taxes for cigars so i have a couple of problems with this before we get into it I don't understand the federal tobacco tax when every state has its own individual tobacco tax. I feel like it should be one or the other. I I really don't like the idea of a federal tobacco tax anyway, and I especially don't like the idea of it when it comes to supposedly being for the benefit of things that are not in any way associated with tobacco use or or purchasing or anything like that. So 
this comes on the heels of the MAMA Act, which was an acronym in search of a definition. I guarantee it. But it's an extension of the Mothers and Offspring Mortality and Morbidity Awareness Act. Now, it's so the idea is that it, the, the language was copy and pasted from another bill, which was the Care for Moms Act. <laughs> Again, let's. New taxes for e-cigarettes, doubling the tax on roll-your-own tobacco, 16% or 16 times increase on pipe tobacco, which, holy crap, um, that's going to really hurt the 12 people that still smoke pipes. Right. And then a massive tax hike for premium cigars. So, A, we, were, we just went through this where premium cigars don't have the same health benefits, they don't fall under the same, so shouldn't be lumping them in to begin with. I granted... This isn't talking about the FDA. They're two separate, but still. Um, but it's, whereas it used to be uh, 52.75% capped at 40 cents per cigar, now it's going to be a weight based of $49.56 per pound. And we decided that 20 toros is a pound? Yeah, about 20 toros. Yeah, so a box of toros goes up. $50 just in tax. Well, yes and no. Well, it doesn't go up that much. It goes right. up to that much. It go. It actually goes up $9.30 is what a box of Toros would right. go up under that. Because they're all, yeah, I guarantee they're already capped at 40.26 or else they wouldn't be trying to increase the legislation. Right. So it actually would take the box of Toros up almost $10 a box. But the stupid part is... Increasing care for expecting mothers and those who have recently given birth. This is not a problem that cigars are causing. N- nor should it be one that we're on the, uh, on the hook to solve. The precious few cigar smokers are causing this problem. Right. Yeah. For, for, <laughs> first of all, uh, and secondly, we live in a country that spends more on health care than any other, co- other developed country in the world. And we have some of the highest morbidity and mortality, especially maternal mortality rate in the world among developed nations as well. It's not a money issue. Right. And so much of this stuff is not a money issue. Right. You know, so many problems that people try to solve by throwing money at it has nothing to do with money. Money will not solve it, you know. Um, and we've, uh, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here. Well, I will. What's the idiot Democrat that, that sponsored this? Right, absolutely. Had to be had to be somewhere. Um, Durbin nor Kelly. So, right, so Senator Dick Senator Durbin. Dick Durbin. That's and, a t- and House Rep Robin Kelly, both Democrats from Illinois. Right. Abs- and goodness knows Illinois's got all their other problems whipped. They need right. to be going after child mortality. How about how about keeping them from shooting each other once they're born? Um this is just silliness. I don't think this will pass. I don't think this will ever get any legs under it. I hope it doesn't. Because, actually, a legislator just walked through the door. <laughs> One of our local legislators just walked through the door, but he's a Republican. Um, a Democratic legislator wouldn't walk through the door here. <laughs> well, there's only six of them in the state. so Absolutely. We can keep them corralled. But, anyway, this is just silliness. I hope it doesn't pass. It doesn't say anything about what the chances are of this passing or not passing. It's just making cigar smokers aware that, hey, they're coming at us again. And 
Cigar Rights of America is ready to fight this battle. And I'm I'm with Cigar Rights of America. And, I mean, have you ever seen a pregnant woman in a cigar shop smoke a cigar? No. Have you ever seen a... Have you seen more than five pregnant women ever in the area of a cigar shop? No. In, in fact, you know, I know... I know far more pregnant women who, or, or women who were pregnant at the time, who gave up smoking because of it, and that was what it took for them to quit for good. Right. Absolutely. They, they figured, hey, I've gone through nine months. I, can, I don't need to go back to it. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Just a, a crazy, crazy bit of legislation being foisted upon us yet again. Well, why don't we break a little early because we got a big, big second half of the show here. And I don't want to rush through either of the topics we have left. All right. Well, we'll be back with that after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane. Sitting across from the man who makes me ask the question, what did you do to your hair? I, you know, I was wondering how long it was going to take you to say something about it. As the mighty wolf looks at the chihuahua with shame is how your grandfather must look at your man bun. This is not a man bun. Thank you very much. What Uh, did you do to, he's, okay, folks. So for all those listening at home. Actually, no, let me. Oh, okay. It's the exact same haircut I've always had. It's. Long on the top, you know, basically shaved sides and, and back. The difference is it's just gotten long enough up top that now I can pull it back into a ponytail, which is what I have done today because I was outside and moving stuff around and I just needed to get it out of my face. And then the thought of getting your or your wife's reaction when I walked in the shop with it is why I kept it in. Okay, well, it's... it's I'm a actually lo- disappointed because my, my money was on Glenda saying something first. Well, she's polite. Uh, okay. She she probably when I get in the car. No, that has never stopped her from commenting on something like when this I before. get in the car. The first thing she's going to say is, "What was going on with Trey's head?" Yeah, and I, but I'm just going to tell you, as your friend, that's a lot more forehead than you need to be showing. Well, I know that. I <laughs> it, know that. It it really makes it look. I'd, I've never considered you to have a receding hairline, but this is receding fast. Oh yeah yeah no don't don't get me wrong. This is not you know necessarily. Now I am continuing to grow the top, so it will get pretty long before it's all said and done but this is this is not my final form shane okay well as long as it's a work in progress i just i had to pull the show over and ask what was going on with your hair but yeah i'll I'll take i'll i'll take it down after the show and show you that it really is the same haircut you've seen me for the last you know seven years it's just it looks different wasn't your hair naturally curly um it's got a wave to it okay well but you know if somebody that never had been in a cigar shop comes into a cigar shop and sit down and talk to us up there in the circle of knowledge, I think they would be shocked by the amount of hair and shoe talk we do. Yeah, probably so. We talk a lot about shoes and a lot about hair. You know, everybody was talking about um, the other night I sat here and Brent actually looked over at me and he said, have you done something different with your hair? I said, no, there's just more gray coming in. Hmm. And he said, okay. He said, well, it looked like something was going different with your hair. I said, hey, I don't care what color it turns as long as it doesn't turn loose. <laughs> and all, but... Mine's doing a little of both at the moment. So, all right. Well, not, not to rub salt in a, <laughs> in a wound. Now, well, I could go all white. Did you ever watch Mad Men? Right. 
Mine could go all white Roger Sterling tomorrow, and I'd just be tickled pink. Wouldn't bother you at all. Going white or gray-headed does not bother me one bit. Yeah, I don't mind if mine changes color, especially the way it is now where it's doing it kind of on the temples. Yeah. Which is exactly how I, how I want to go gray is kind of on the temples and then let it work its way around. Yeah. But anyway. What do you have that you're worried about that your hair is turning gray? Uh, nothing. <laughs> it, it's truly just the course of age. Oh, and, okay. and both of my grandfathers, when they died, died with a full head of hair. My great-grandfather died with a full head of hair. So the chances of my hair being around for the duration, pretty darn good. Yeah, that's fair. That's, that's one of the many, many blessings that I'm thankful for in my life. So, moving forward, Davidoff's precious selection of holiday season's gifts. And all, is it too early to talk about a Christmas, about Christmas cigar gifts? You know, I, I, in some ways I think it is, but, you know, the stores already have their Christmas decorations up, so, you know, maybe they know something we don't. So, Davidoff is offering a couple of different gift selections this year, and, and you know, this is from a cigar journal that we're taking this from so basically the number one limited edition collection is going to come out which is um the anniversary number one the uh which was to celebrate Zeno Davidoff's birthday as a part of the brand's captivating the different campaign da, da, da. Davidoff re-rolls cigar history for the third time and brings back a limited edition of the popular double corona okay so I have one problem with all gift sets there's all, let's say that there's five or six in the gift set. Right. One or two of them are duds. The sizing. You get Robusto, you get Torpedo, you get Box, you get Regular, you get all of these different sizes in a gift set. And it just... Why, why do we not make a gift set of just one size of cigar? Well, that was why I didn't go in for the Tatawahe Advent Calendar last year. Because I was looking at the size and all, they were all petite Coronas, mm-hmm. or, or maybe just regular Coronas. But they were all—I was like, you know, because by the time they hit my brick and mortar, they were reasonably priced, considering it was you know twenty-five or twenty-four Tatawais. But then you look at what size they are, and I'm going, but I don't enjoy that size as much. Right at a certain point, that size becomes work. Right, especially on an Advent calendar, like, oh, okay, I got to smoke my Tatawahe today. Mm. And it, it takes the joy out of it. But even our Padron gift sets in here. It's hard to sell a Padron gift set because people look at it and they say, oh, I'm paying for five Padrones, but I'm getting the amount of tobacco in three. Yeah. And it's just... Uh, it's the, all in how you look at it ultimately, right? But at the same time, it feels like when you take the, choi- when you take the size choice away, I would much rather see this is the Robusto gift set, this is the Toro gift set, this is the Gordo gift set. Kind of like, you know, Perdomo and company do with yeah. their... See, Mark just brought out the Romeos. They're all Toros. Yeah, it, like they should be. That's a, that's a good gift set. Oh, and the little corkscrew, yeah. Why would they give you a corkscrew? Did they not have a free cutter laying around? Yeah, I think it's more for the, the pairing... But anyway, back to our topic <laughs> after our distraction. It's, it's happening a lot today. It's fine. Um, yeah, I think you should do kind of like the, you know, the humid bags that they all come in the same size. Mm-hmm. And they're always usually Toros or even uh, it's not Perdomo that does it. But there's one company that does it where you actually I think it's I think it's Alec Bradley. There's one that's all Robustos, all Toros. So you can choose based on size. 
If you look, the Perdomo four packs, they pay the bills in here, man. Those things sell like crazy. They were the best idea since the Bovita pack that the cigar industry has ever had. Yeah, Mark, how many Perdomo packs a month do you think we sell? A lot. A lot. Over 30? Over 100. Over 100. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. They're paying the bills. Yeah, they're paying the bills. They're making the payments. Perdomo's Christmas gift sets that we'll be getting in are all one size as well. Excellent. Remember those from last year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And why they do these where they do these funky sizes. Thank you, Mark. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I guess that's it. Just get rid of back stock. Yeah. Stuff that ain't selling quite as well. (laughs) You are one step away from saying dismiss, Sergeant. (laughs) (laughs) I caught that. I don't know if he caught that, but I caught that. Mark loves being on the podcast. We need to just start planning every third or fourth podcast to have Mark on because he's great. Or at least just set up the third mic so he can run by and grab it. He can just run by and grab it every time he passes for the ashtray. Yeah. But yeah, the the Davidoff Precious Selection, and it don't give a price on this. What do you think the price? I'm getting the price at for the six cigar pack, two hundred dollars. I would say that's probably pretty close, or, or one seventy five maybe, and then for the nine, maybe maybe two fifty. Probably two fifty on the nine pack. Yeah. Yeah, they don't give the price on this particular article because they probably haven't released the prices yet. But I just I'm not I'm not big on that. All right, let's talk about our topic. All right. So from the art of manliness. Oh, I have these in the wrong order. Is it better to be a little fish in a big pond or a big fish in a little pond? Or do you want to do the other article first? No, that's fine. I just okay. need to get I needed to get to it. So the concept is that the human animal likes to be recognized. Likes to be recognized and be in the eyes of their peers. And is it better to have a smaller group and be at the head of that group or have a larger group and just be part of the group? I think there are pros and cons to both. And I wonder if you would agree with that. Or do you think there is a right answer here? I don't think there's a right answer here. because this. When it, why, don't, why don't you throw the background out there? Okay. So we were discussing this as it pertains to college football yesterday. In the um, NIL Right. John, um, John and I were sitting here, and we were discussing. He said, it seems there's a lot more parity in college football this year than there's probably ever been. And I would say he's right. There's a lot more teams that have a chance of beating another team. The juggernaut, the powerhouse, is starting to falter. You're mm-hmm. starting to see that the cracks in that. And I, I attribute it, you know, when NIL was announced, name, image, and likeness money was announced, all of the old staunch football guys in here said, this is going to ruin the game. This is going to take it from being an amateur sport to being a professional sport. And this is going to ruin the game. And it's not going to be as much fun to watch. But I think it's had the opposite effect. I actually, because I, I would rather watch a very competitive game. I'd love to see a four-team playoff where all four teams had two losses. Yeah, well, so, and here's the thing. And I'm happy that it looks like I'm on the side of being right here because I, I was a fan of the idea of NIL from the beginning because, A, these colleges are making a crap load of money off of the name and likeness of these players. Like, the number 16 UT 
Tennessee jersey is still the most popular jersey sold because of Peyton Manning. Right. And he's been, he graduated in 97, or he, you know, his last year of playing was 97. So <clears throat> that's one of the few uh, bits of college football trivia I actually know. And, but the thing, so I think the players deserve the opportunity to be right. But the best part is, you know, under the old system, you know, the size of the college and the and the pedigree of the program is what determined your ability to recruit talent because the 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 bigger teams the Alabamas the USC's the Ohio States they had more scholarships to give and so your your high dollar recruits out of high school who couldn't afford college unless they got a full ride were were specifically going after the schools where you know and that was the benefit that was the net benefit to them NIL money doesn't come from the school itself. It comes from Reebok and from other, you know, from other types right, of from licensing. Ed's used cars. Yeah, exactly. So now, it you're you're able to recruit all over the country, and the recruiting power is no longer concentrated in a few handful. Because it it also used to be, if you thought you were good enough to go pro then you would go to a, a, a program that would elevate you to get to that point where you would be recognized. Now, if again, if you can't afford college or if you're trying to keep, you know, if you help support your mom or, or your family by paying bills, you know, things like that, it allows you to start doing it earlier and you can go play for, you know, Notre Dame or, you know, University of Miami, Florida or Miami, Ohio even or any of these schools that haven't exactly won a comp conference championship in a while and and i like that well so it's created it's taken away the disparity of depth you know so often tennessee would be playing a georgia or an alabama and we knew we didn't really have the chance to win because their second string and third string was still five-star athletes right they were still guys that could start anywhere in the country so we just did not have the depth of roster to compete on the level with them in the SEC. And now what you're seeing is that those big juggernauts don't have the depth they used to because the people that were happy sitting on the bench for a few years at Alabama, now they can go start at Colorado. Right. Say say you're say you're a professional, you're a you're a high school football player. And you're pretty good, but you know you're probably never going to make the NFL. Right. And you have the choice of going to Alabama and playing third string and maybe playing two games a year. If that. If that, being these little fish in a big pond. Or you have the choice of, okay, I'm going to go down here to University of Alabama, Birmingham, and Ed's used cars is going to give me $400,000 in NIL money for being on the University of Alabama, Birmingham, and I can get a full-ride scholarship, I can graduate with a degree, and walk out of there conceivably with enough money to buy my first house. Yeah. Not be saddled with a mortgage. Or I can be, you know, I can be... At the very least, no college debt, no student loan debt. Yeah, I mean, you look at Bryce Young. When Bryce Young left the University of Alabama... He took a pay cut to go to the NFL mm-hmm. <laughs> and all because of all of the NIL money he had. Well, good news is he can carry a lot of that with him. Oh, absolutely. And I do think that's going to get a little hairier. You know, you get into a lot of that with professional wrestling. 
and all as far as naming rights and you know WWE doesn't like you to use their own na- your own name they like to copyright your name so that right. they can maintain that name image likeness with them but I do think it's creating a parody in college football that is undeniable that it's actually a benefit to the game yeah it, it's spreading the talent around and I think that's the when I was reading this article that's what kept coming up to me is okay if I can be the starter at South South Miami, and we're probably going to win our division. You know, we're going to beat. Yeah. You know, we're going to beat Ringling Barber and Clown, and we're going to have plenty of wins under the record. And if I don't go to the NFL when I leave, I still leave with a handsome profit from the four years I played college football, and I get to. You know, I'm I'm way yeah. ahead in life. I'm get. Yeah. You're actually helping these athletes step up. Now, here's my question: Do you th- and just before you move on from that, if if you're in a small town like that, or, or even like a medium-sized town, then let's say you go into real estate or some you know some type of profession like sales or whatever, you've already got name recognition following that you've been working on and building and building trust for the last four years. Right. You've you've already established a reputation. Yeah. And that makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference in the real estate business, mm-hmm. especially. And, and how many college athletes that don't go pro end up in real estate? It's a lot of them. Oh, lots of lots of professional wrestlers end up in the real estate business. Yeah. You know, Undertaker made a lot of money in WWE. He made even more money selling buildings in or in Houston. Yeah. So there is a lot of that goes on as part of it. So I think that despite what all of the old guys we're railing against um, NIL destroying the game. I think NIL has been a boost to the game that I, think I it has. that I would have never seen coming. Right. I never I never seen that coming from that standpoint. So very interesting to see that. Now, as it pertains to this, I'm I'm kind of different. I always prefer to dig my own pond, and whatever fish want to come in there can come into my pond. Yeah, <laughs> and all, but, but you have you have a rather unique outlook on life. To, to most people, and I know you don't think so, but you, you, not every not a, everyone possesses the tools, the fortitude, or the willingness, uh, or the ability to dig their own pond. And at some point in in all of our lives, we find ourselves in other people's ponds. And you know, so I have worked. Let, let's take it to let, let's take it to a professional kind of understanding. I've worked in places like where I work now, where I am very much a small fish in an incredibly large multinational pond. You get some anonymity with that. You know, your screw-ups can fly under the radar long enough for you to fix them and nobody notice it. Um, you know, your ability to put your head down, do your work, clock in, clock out is really good. I've also worked for companies where I was one of five employees. And while it's nice to be the guy who's in charge of X, Y, and Z, A, when something goes wrong with X, Y, and Z, there's only one place to go, and B, if you want to take a vacation, good luck, because nobody else knows how to do X, Y, and Z. Well, it's, you know, there are disadvantages to digging your own pond. My business is very much me. Mm. If somebody wanted to buy my business, wanted to buy me out of my business, it's not really feasible. Because right. I'm not selling them me. Right. 
and I have very little in the way of tangible property that I would sell as part of the business. And I'm not ever going to sell plans for the future and turn it and turn it into my retirement. Right. Well, and you know, I've I've thought about the same with the you know the TV mounting and AV installation business that I do. It's the same. I've I've thought about maybe turning it into like a primary concern, but at this point, already even over the last five years that I've been doing this, I I've set it up with you know a very simple chain of command with me at with me in command, and it's just there's there's really it's it's hard to get out from that. Yeah, it is. So there is some disadvantages to that. And it depends on the kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. Now, the kind of person that is a good leader usually is a pretty good follower. Usually part of being a good leader is that you spent some time being a good follower. You knew how to follow. You knew how to go behind. You knew how to do things that needed to be done. And at a certain point, you know, when I was working for the big builders, the big box builders, I looked at what they were doing, and I learned what they were doing, and I knew how I could apply that to what I do now. Well, give you a, another example like of that, which is with Benny, my dog. So a couple of weeks ago, I I nearly got rid of him. He was just he was going backwards in a lot of ways with training wise, and he was just we were having a really tough week. And so I called the dog trainer, and I I told her like. In all, I was like being completely honest with you. Like I've almost had it. I'm almost ready to give up. Any, I, I, we've talked about it a little bit on the show. He's a border collie. They are the smartest dog breed on the planet, and he is very intelligent. He's also incredibly stubborn. And so we were walking away. We were working on some things, and you know because he's very stubborn, you have to. You know these are dogs that are used to getting kicked in the head by cows. Like they can take a lot, right? So part of our training and working with him is being very do this now do that now you know it's it's very more authoritative than is really in my nature and and so she notices something at one point because she was getting him she was getting him to do what she wanted but then I would do the exact same thing she did and nothing was working and she was like he doesn't like the way you're handling it like she just picked up on that there's something about it he's saying hey you're not you're not doing this right so I had a long thought like I thought about that a lot I was like what's going on and I it's a it's a leader follower situation and I'm treating him like an authoritarian like a boss as opposed to asking him to do stuff the way I would want to be doing it and I completely shifted my approach and I'll tell you he's quickly becoming one of the best dogs I've ever known now he's still no Oscar but he's, it's just, and it's because you have to spend that time knowing how you want to be led to know how to appropriately lead others. Yeah, you know, Ace is that way. Ace, when we're on our walks and someone walks toward us and we pass someone on the trail, since Ace was a baby, I've stopped and make him sit until those people walk by. Because mm-hmm. I knew one day Ace was going to be 90 pounds. And when, he, when a puppy runs up to you and wants to be loving, it's yeah. adorable. When a 90-pound black Labrador walk runs up to you, it's terrifying. And the instinct of a dog is you can never take a step back. When, you, when a dog walks towards you, you either hold your ground or step forward. You never take a step back from a dog because it triggers that response in their brain. Yeah, they're, play, they're prey-driven. Right. So I've, you know, I learned Ace from a very young, or taught Ace, pardon my English, taught Ace from a very learned Ace, very learned. <laughs> learned, 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 learned. Uh, That's stuck in my head now. 
Yeah, so you instilled a certain behavior in him from very early on. From very early, I taught him, you must sit when somebody walks up to us. And he would sit, and if the person wanted to walk up and pet him, I'd say, sure, it's absolutely fine. And if they didn't want to walk up and pet him, they could keep walking and everything. And now on the trail all the time, I have people ask me, is he a service dog? You know, is he a, is he a yeah. service dog? Are you training him to, you know, lead mm. a blind guy someday? And I say, no, I just, he's a well-trained dog. So there is a lot of that mentality. And I think deciding whether you, what size fish you are in the pond you happen to be swimming in at this phase of life is a huge part of happiness. Well, yeah, I, I, we, don't, we don't get to choose what size fish we are. That that's whether that's personality, whether that's you know inherent traits, whatever you don't get to decide because the same big fish in the small pond is the sa- is the small fish in the big pond, right? That's that's the analogy. So choose your pond. Yeah, and you know, very much I'm I'm a leader. Very much I've that's just part of who I am. You know, around here when it's time when we're getting ready to tailgate on Saturdays, on Thursdays, everybody's asking me, Shane, what can I bring? Yeah, Because I put together the menu, I put together what we're going to have sitting here for munches and all that stuff, and it's very calm. If I just said, oh, we'll just bring whatever you want, it would be a disaster. It would be, it'd be so much less enjoyable, but part of that is, now it's on me. Right. <laughs> and all, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to shoulder the load, and a lot of things, you know, we're going on a cigar trip to Tampa in February. And I am fighting very hard not to be the ramrod of that operation. Because otherwise you don't get to enjoy the trip because you're hurting the cats. Right. I want to go, I want to be the little fish in that big pond. I want someone else to have, it's somebody else's pond and my nature is to want to take it over. Yeah. And you're it's an a, Asian carp. Yeah. It's, it's actually very hard for me. I found it very challenging for me to say, hey, what y'all are going to do is what you're going to do. Here's my suggestions, and let it go with that, and all. But that's been, that's been surprisingly difficult for me. But I think to sum the article up, decide what size pond you want to be in. Know know the size of fish you are. There's nothing wrong with being a guppy. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being a piranha. There's nothing wrong with being a shark. But don't be a shark and then put yourself into a koi pond. Yeah. You're not going to enjoy yourself. Yeah. And don't be a guppy and decide you're going to put yourself in a pond full of sharks. It's not going to work <laughs> at all. So I think we've carried that metaphor out as I, far I think, as I think it can possibly be toted. Yeah. One more article. Pennsylvania bill would ban smoking in cigar shops, bars, and casinos. This is from Half Wheel. Charlie wrote this, Charlie Minato. And HB 16.57 would modify Pennsylvania's existing Clean Indoor Air Act by removing a variety of exemptions. Lodging establishments, tobacco shops, workplaces of tobacco manufacturers, designated smoking areas of residential care facilities, private clubs, exhibition halls, so forth and so on. Cigar bars is the big one and casinos. That's the two that I want to focus on. Well, and tobacco shops. And tobacco shops. Why? Yeah. If, if, if businesses were losing money by allowing smoking, they would, have done, they would have put the kibosh on it a long time ago. Yeah, if casinos knew 
that having cigars was caught in their on the floor was causing people not to come play at the tables, they would handle that. Right. Why do we need legislation? This is a legislation looking for a reason, I guess. And cigar bars? If a bunch of guys want to get together and smoke a cigar and watch football, why should Pennsylvania legislature be involved? Not only that, but there's a piece of this legislation that really, really gets my dander up. The bill leaves just one of the existing 12 exemptions in place. Do you want to guess what that is? Well, I know you've already read the article, but... I have, but I don't remember. I'm going to say designated smoking areas. One that allows for people to smoke inside of their own homes. That should never even be on the table. No. (laughs) Like, no! (laughs) So if I'm driving through Pennsylvania and I've got a cigar in my hand, can a cop pull me over and write a ticket for to me for smoking in my own car? Well, I, that's a that's a good question. Although, is your car considered indoors? I guess that's the only my my only reason that that I can think for there being a designated exemption for this is group housing, apartment complexes, and things like that. But even stint still. That should be up to the landlord. Right. You know, that. In, in fact, most landlords do have a provision in there that you pay a higher rent or a higher security deposit if you're a smoker. Because it covers the cost of the additional cleaning and prep they have to do to get next door. Which is fine. That's the give and take. But it's market-based. Yeah. You know, I quit buying balcony rooms on cruises when they quit letting us smoke on the balcony at the cruise ship. Mm-hmm. What's the point? If I can't go out on my balcony and light a cigar, why, pray tell, would I want to pay the extra money for a balcony? Right. Um, and that's, that's market-driven. That's all about the market, all about the way it is. And I think the cruise industry is going to get on board with that. And, you know, they talk about, oh, well, causing fires. You know, cruise ships, their thing was, well... We don't want people throwing cigars over the side of the boat and it blowing back into the boat and setting the boat on fire. Because, believe it or not, fire is actually the number one hazard on a boat. But in your house, the number one thing that causes house fires? The stove? Candles. Ah, that makes more sense. So are we outlawing candles? Because that's... Right. Number two, dryer vents. If you haven't... Just cigar cast, um, helpful hint. If you haven't cleaned out your dryer vent lately, do it tomorrow. Because no, the most houses catch on fire by candles, but number two is dryer vents. I was going hunting one morning, and the house down the road from me was ablaze. And when they put the fire out, I looked at it, and I told the guys, well, I said, their dryer vent caught fire. Because I knew where the laundry room was in that house, and the fire just absolutely started right there in the dryer vent. Yeah. So if you haven't cleaned out your dryer vent, clean out your dryer vent. Yeah, mine's actually due next month. I keep a spreadsheet of all of the like annual maintenance and which. Which, now, I realize I'm a bit anal retentive when it comes to things like that. So, But if you're not the kind of person that keeps a list of the things that you need to do, at, you know, once a month, once every three months, once every six months, once a year to your house, make a list. It has saved me so much. Because then when I change the, the water filter in the fridge or when I change the, the vents in my air return, I just mark the date. 
And then there's no guessing. How long? I just replaced that three weeks ago. No, it was six weeks ago. You know, that sort of thing. Or anchor it, earmark it. You know, when the time changes. Whenever the time changes, I do two things. I change my smoke detector batteries, and I drain my water heater. Mm. I have a regular old-fashioned water heater. It's got a valve right there on the front. I hook a hose to it. I drain the water heater out, let it fill back up. My water heater will last 20 years. Speaking of not the water heater, but the smoke detector batteries, can I tell you an experience I had this week that is just the most asinine dumbassery that I discovered about the house that we bought? So we've been in our house two years the house itself is two years and a day old. <laughs> they right. finished it right before we closed. Wake up in the middle of the night the other night because one of the one of the smoke detectors is beeping. Right. Okay, okay fine. They put from the, at, right by the door of our master and then in the hallway, which is right outside the laundry room, another smoke detector. So there are two smoke detectors two feet apart. They're not the same model of smoke detector. <laughs> so I pull the first one down because I'm deaf. I can't tell which one's making the noise. So I pull the first one down, and, and actually the entire housing falls out of the drywall ceiling because they didn't anchor it correctly. But that's a, to go to change the batteries, only to realize this is a new form that actually has a door on the front of it with two AA batteries in it. You don't even have to take it down to change the batteries. Oh, that's great. Then I realize... That's not the one making the noise. So I go ahead and replace the batteries, put it back up, move the ladder four, you know, two feet. It's the old style with the nine volt, which of course I don't have at the house. Why? <laughs> well, you know, my neighbors, every time they would sit with their garage door open, I would hear their smoke detector beeping in their garage. And me being a builder and a good neighbor, I just walked over there and I knocked on their door and I said, hey, your smoke detector's beeping in the garage every time you turn it on. And I'll, um, do you need to borrow a ladder? You know, can I help you with this? Yeah. Can I help you swap this out? Do I you need a nine volt? What's I, going on? I didn't say because it's aggravating the out right. of me. <laughs> and they said, oh, no, come out here. They showed me the smoke detector from the floor to the bottom of the smoke detector, 16 foot. Oh, my gosh. I look at they like, had to have a, a scissor jack just to install yeah, the thing. Yeah, so they, they've literally got to erect scaffolding to change the battery in their freaking smoke detector. <laughs> I just looked at it and said, okay, well, I'll quit complaining. I said, it's obvious that there's very little can be done about this particular problem. All right, that makes my problem seem a little less... Yeah, but, so at least yours are accessible. Yeah. But... You know, casinos, cigar shops, this is not things we need legislation involved in. If you work in the industry and you don't want to be around smoke, get a job somewhere where they don't. Right. Goodness knows there's enough employment opportunities in this country that you don't have to work in a cigar bar if you don't want to be around smoke. Yeah. And if you do work in a cigar bar, don't complain about the smoke. That's part of being, you know, it says on the door, cigars. You don't move next to the airport and call and complain about the noise. Right. You don't say, you don't move into a golf course and complain every time a ball lands in your yard. Right. It's just, it, there's certain things that common sense should dictate that for some reason they don't. But anyway, all right. So I never got to light mine. I'm going to light it after the show. Tell me about the broadleaf. I want to know. It's all right. Um, so, so, 
okay, I'm going to compare it to the th- to the two broadleafs I know. Okay. The Charter Oak broadleaf. Flavor-wise, it's better. Construction, I'm having some problems with it. Alec Bradley broadleaf, double broadleaf. I don't... Oh, the double... Um, I don't know. I haven't had an... I've only had one of those, and it was long enough ago that I can't really... I bet... As much as you like the double broadleaf, I bet it's better. I think the double broadleaf is better than the Charter Oak broadleaf. I think it's what the Charter Oak broadleaf should be. So I'm interested to smoke that cigar. That's the scale by which I will be managing it. What would you rate it? Uh, on this one, I'm two weeks in a row at a four and a half. This wow. is not even a five. Look at that stove piping I'm getting. I've been fighting the burn for the last you know 20 minutes. I'm I'm having to really like freight train it to keep it alive. It wants to keep going out on me. I'm just I'm really not impressed. Very interesting. I'm I'm gonna smoke mine and I'll let everybody know next week what what mine tastes like. And uh, I may have to smoke another one during the podcast next week to know. But it depends on how well I like the one I'm about to light up here in a few minutes. I want to like it, and I think it has a potential to be better than what this. But on this alone, it's it's not even a five. Wow, that does, that does not give me a lot of hope for my next cigar. And uh, well, how do they get hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at facebook.com slash thecigarcast or on Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast and email info at thecigarcast.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.